Hello, welcome to The Briefing. I'm Annika Smethurst, joined by Tom Tilley, who has been away for a few days. Tom, where have you been? Well, I've been chasing sharks, actually, shooting a story for the project (laughs) on the mid-north coast. And for some reason, um, the producers had the idea of me going surfing with a shark attack victim at the beach where he'd seen sharks before. And did you see any sharks? (laughs) Thankfully not. Oh, it seems like everyone's seen a shark during COVID, so you... Yeah, I'll keep surfing, keep looking for them, um, hopefully not interacting directly with one. <laughs> Look, okay, glad you're back. Today we're going to take a deep dive on Parler, which is an alternative social media platform for people on the right side of politics. It's calling itself the world's free speech social media network. Parler has really managed to collect a specific community that has a specific set of ideas that it wants to hold to, truth be damned. Yeah, so the free speech platform Parler um, will find out what they haven't been able to say on Facebook or Twitter that they want to be able to say on this platform. First, let's get into the big stories of the day. Several Western countries are sticking up for Australia in our dispute with China. The latest war of words is over a tweet of that doctored photo of an Australian soldier holding a knife to the throat of an Afghan child. After that was posted by the Chinese foreign military spokesperson Li Jinzhao, Scott Morrison called it shameful and demanded an apology. Since then, New Zealand has spoken out. Here's their Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern. New Zealand has registered directly uh, with Chinese authorities. Our concern over the use of that image, it was was an unfactual post. uh, And of course, that would concern us. The French government's also said the tweet is unworthy of diplomatic methods and an insult to all armed forces in Afghanistan, while the White House has confirmed it will only serve Australian wine at an upcoming event. Australia's wine sellers have been hit with massive tariffs in China. China, which threatened to kill off the industry here. And the International Parliamentary Alliance on China, which is a global coalition of Western MPs focused on relationships with the country, they've launched a new campaign to stand with Australia. This December, we are asking you all to join us in standing against Pin's authoritarian bullying. By drinking a bottle or two of Australian wine and letting the Chinese Communist Party know that we will not be bullied. Wow, it is interesting to um, hear people getting around Australia. It also feels nice to have people sticking up for you. <laughs> China's standing firm, though. Late yesterday, the embassy uh, here in Australia put out a statement stating that a senior Australian officials demanding an apology is absolutely unacceptable. It added that the rage and roar of some Australian politicians and media is nothing but a misreading of an overreaction to Mr Zhao's tweet. Former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd, who is considered an expert on China, has told the ABC we need to change our approach. We should be doing more and, frankly, speaking less about the relationship, enhancing our substantive national security interests and standing, while at the same time being less predisposed to putting out a press release on it every second Tuesday. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, Annika. Uh, A lot of people have echoed the same views, that we should be more careful about what we do in public and working very hard in private. Yeah, there's a few schools of thought about how we're handling this. There is a sense that perhaps China was looking for a sign of weakness, that their campaign against Australia was working. Now that's over trade, Huawei, they've been upset about some foreign ownership laws, and that they've been really looking for a sense that we are willing to reset the relationship. And and recently, a lot of our politicians have said that. Even after this tweet, we've seen a number of senior people say, we still want to talk, we still want to engage, which 
a lot of people are split on that. You know, are we really going to roll over when when this is the sort of reaction we're getting? Look, there is an idea that this was one rogue person too, this, this embassy official. It wasn't from, I guess, uh, the government's Twitter account, but it hasn't been taken down and they haven't condemned him, which is really interesting. And speaking of the Afghanistan war crimes allegations, photographs have emerged overnight purporting to be an Australian Special Forces soldier drinking a beer from a prosthetic leg that was allegedly removed from a Taliban fighter reportedly killed in a battle in Afghanistan in 2009. The Guardian has reported the leg was kept in an unofficial bar inside an Australian military base. Yeah, and these photos could lead to further allegations of war crimes um, because the Commonwealth Criminal Code includes a law about pillaging and taking property without consent. In a statement to The Guardian, the Defence Force wouldn't comment directly but said... Where there is information provided to defence not addressed as part of the Afghanistan inquiry, these matters will be investigated thoroughly and acted on. And Australia's inching closer to opening borders by Christmas. Yesterday, there were emotional reunions at Queensland airports. After 250 days, Sydney siders and Victorians were finally let back in. Overjoyed. Family's everything. It really is. <laughs> Over the moon. Ecstatic. Yeah, and there was a big announcement from Western Australia's Premier Mark McGowan as well. Effective from 12.01am, Tuesday, December 8, Victoria and New South Wales will be categorised as very low risk under our control borders. Therefore, travel will be permitted to WA. Travellers will still need to be screened at airports while the hard border is still up for South Australia. But Prime Minister Scott Morrison is hoping the walls will be down by December 25. We said we would work to get Australia open by Christmas. On the record of the achievement so far, Mr Speaker, we're well and truly on that path. And so I thank the Premiers and the Chief Ministers for the way we've worked together patiently. There have been a few disagreements, but the outcome is what matters. Yeah, I think a lot of people will be happy about that, especially for Western Australians who've been separated from families all year. To be able to get together for Christmas will be pretty special, I reckon. There's been widespread backlash in Tasmania over plans to make a movie about the Port Arthur gunman. Yeah, the mayor of the local council says it's a disappointing decision that will re-traumatise the community, while Premier Peter Gutwin says it's disrespectful to victims and he's uncomfortable with it. However, since it's being filmed in Victoria, there's not much the government can do. The stand production will focus on the lead-up to the tragedy, where 36 people were shot dead in 1996, but it won't show the actual massacre. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like, uh, Of course a film like this is not going to be easy for the victims, but the tragedy was, you know, 24 years ago. You'd think it, it might be time that we can actually make a film about it. Thanks, Tom. You're jumping out. Now we've got Jan Fran in to take a deep dive on Parlour. Back to a few weeks ago, to the US presidential election, where were you getting your information about the election from? Like, was it Facebook? Was it YouTube? Twitter? Was it was it the nightly news? Or was it Parler? This is a new-ish platform that calls itself the world's premier free speech social network. It's similar to Twitter in that there's a news feed. Users can upload images and write posts of up to 1,000 characters, being a lot more than Twitter. Unlike Twitter, there's no fact-checking, which is something major social networks have started to bring in recently. Parlour users can say and post whatever they like, 
as long as it's not against the law. Yeah. Now, the platform itself was actually founded in 2018 by two guys named John Marzi and Jared Thompson. But they say that after the 2020 US presidential election, user numbers on the platform spiked massively. So there were 2 million downloads the week of the election, which was 31 times the downloads that the app saw the week before that. Co-founder John Matsey reckons it's because other platforms are curtailing the spread of information. Twitter is making it more difficult by fact-checking the president, fact-checking supporters, and and Parler's sitting here going, you know, we need more information. Uh, We have a series of hashtags people are getting around and and sharing information, and that's how it should be, is more transparency, not less, and Twitter's part of the problem. This is a view shared by other conservatives in the US who reckon big tech companies such as Twitter, Facebook and Google are censoring right-wing voices and opinions, but not the left. This platform gets what free speech is all about, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's speak, let's speak freely, and let's end the Silicon Valley censorship. That was US Republican Senator Ted Cruz there. Um, Very excited about the platform. He's one of the more high-profile parlour users. That's his opinion there. Others have a slightly different view. Jonathan Greenblatt, who is the CEO of an organisation called the Anti-Defamation League, which fights anti-Semitism and hate speech, says that even though Parler is still a small platform, it's a concern because of the nature of the content that's shared on it. While Parler is not an extremist platform, the reality is we have seen an extraordinary rise of white supremacists, QAnon conspiratorialists, uh, anti-vaxxers, neo-Nazis and other types using Parler as an outlet because they're not finding a home on places like Facebook or Twitter anymore. So a couple of differing opinions on what Parler is, who it's for and how it's used. Let's try and get to the bottom of it with our resident tech expert, Mark Pesci. He knows all things tech and he spent the last few months looking into Parler. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Look, Twitter is often accused of being a space for the extreme left. So how is this any different? Is it just a space for people who have views on the right? It is definitely a space for people that leans to the right. It has different settings and how it patrols what we would think of as hate speech. So there's definitely a larger concentration of, say, white supremacists or anti-Semitics or anti-Muslims. And that kind of speech inside of an echo chamber tends to amplify. And it's not exactly clear what's beyond the bounds on Parler. So can you compare this to Twitter? Can, can you say this is Twitter for the right? Because that's sounding like a very different space. Twitter is open to all. And it really, uh, one of the good things about Twitter is people who do have opposing points of view might get into an argument with one another, but at least they will encounter one another and they will encounter their views. Parler seems like it's all more or less in one side of the camp. I guess some people would say that about Twitter. That does seem to be certain people that are attracted to it. But I guess I wanted to ask, you know, why do users feel they need to go over to this space if Twitter and Facebook do what they say and that they are open places to chat and share ideas? What are they not giving people that they need to get from Parler? 
when we're talking about a world in which it's become easier and easier to ignore unwelcome facts, at a certain point, Twitter is going to sort of burst your bubble and that parlor seems to be a place for a certain set of views. And we know that there's a lot of QAnon activity and conspiracy theory activity that's also sort of hosted on parlor, that it's the place that you can go where your bubble will remain unpopped. I mean, they, they would bill it as the place that you can go where you can say whatever you want and you can feel free to speak your mind and not be fearful of censorship. Is it offering users a unique space in that sense in a way that perhaps Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube aren't? This is that clever way of reframing telling the truth to someone as censoring them. And I, I feel as though this is the game that's being played there, that they're sort of redefining what censorship is so that they sound like they're the censorship free space rather than saying they're the reality free space. And at some point, most of these other very large commercial services have to kowtow to either advertisers or to shareholders or to the community themselves. And Parler has really managed to collect a specific community that has a specific set of ideas that it wants to hold to, truth be damned. So what happens here? What happens when beliefs that are not necessarily grounded in reality find a space where they can thrive? What are some of the ramifications of that? We can already see what's happening in the QAnon movement, which is that it's effectively become almost a kind of cult or new 21st century religion where people become so invested in that belief system that they cut themselves off from their family or their friends or their job because they have entered a new world where everything that they believe is placing them at odds with the world at large. And therefore, they're choosing to believe rather than to act in the world. So where do you see Parler going, Mark? Because social networks have risen and fallen in the past. I can't even name some of them. That's how non-memorable they are. But where do you see Parler going in the next few years? It would very much surprise me if whatever next incarnation Donald Trump takes does not include some sort of broadcasting slash social network element to be able to keep his base coherent and also keep them riled up. Whether Parler is going to be the choice of that or whether they start one themselves, there's clearly going to be something because Fox News is in some sense for the over 70s, for the people who aren't using social media. Mm. For the under 30s who are, they need something like this. And if this isn't it, they will create it. Given it's designed to collate and bring together people with a certain point of view, Shortly, in some ways, it's actually quite a friendly space because there's not that contest of ideas or combativeness. Is that the case? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the echo chamber or the ditto room, depending on what you want to call it, that you'll find people who have found the same truths you have. And, and in this, it's almost got a religious dimension in that it's a shared faith or a shared set of values. And this is one of the great strengths of social media is that it allows you to find the others. But that great strength, when it overtops the dam, also becomes quite dangerous. And that does seem to be the strength of Parler. It has created a space for people who share a similar worldview and those that feel their opinions are being blocked by more traditional social media sites. Yeah, it is still quite small compared to other platforms. It has about 10 million users, not all of them active. Compare that to Twitter, which has 320 million users. Instagram, which has around a billion users. And Facebook, a whopping 2.7 billion users. So quite small. We did, however, want to chat with one of those users of Parler, 
to find out why they've moved to that particular social platform and what it is that they felt they couldn't say on Facebook or Twitter that they can now share. Vic is one of those people. Were you a big social media user in the past? How did you end up on Parler? Look, I've been on um, Facebook and social media for quite a few years, like most people. However, with the um, latest censorship and from Facebook, I found, along with a lot of other people, the need to move elsewhere um, due to, as I said, the continual censorship, banning, no access. And, yeah, I switched out. I tried MeWe VK, but Parler seems to be the one that everybody is preferring at the moment. So talk us through some of your concerns around censorship um, on Facebook. In what sort of ways did you feel that you were being censored? Um, look, I'm I'm censored for my political beliefs. I'm a conservative. Um, you could put up a funny meme. You could repost a current link of something that you know that your audience, your friends are interested in and you'd get a violation. You'd immediately get a violation. After three violations, you'd get banned. These sort of social media sites, Facebook and Twitter, more traditional ones, often attract people with broad views and we see people on the left and the right, as you say, put up memes. Do you think the the censorship that you talk about and the treatment is equal on both sides? Did you see... Definitely say, not. How so? You you really couldn't say or do much at all without being censored. As I said, I, I would put up a link, just a link for other people, um, which I had got from Facebook and posted and I got banned. And even to the point now where a lot of people have multiple accounts on Facebook and you have one you know, on under your phone number, one under your email address. Well, now they're linking them all. So if you get banned on one, they take access from all accounts off you. Facebook will say that they're trying to curb the spread of misinformation. This is the excuse that they've said as to why uh, they might pull down certain links or put warnings up um, for others. Do you believe them when they say that? And do you think that there should be a space for misinformation to be curbed online? Oh, most definitely. I think misinformation is dangerous. However, um, from what I have seen personally on Facebook, I do think there is a huge bias there. And how's the experience of Parler been for you? How long have you been on it and have you enjoyed it? Look, I've been on, I joined Parler, oh, mid last year, but once again, not many people were on it, so I really didn't use it at all until a few weeks ago, I guess it is, when everybody started going over to Parler. I like it. It is different to navigate than Facebook. The one thing it is, it is free speech. You, There is no censorship. There is no control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is what the greatest thing about it. I think that's why it's going to uh, override Facebook eventually. That was Vic there, a parlor user, talking about why she likes the social media platform. And I think, Annika, for someone like Vic, she doesn't seem to be against curbing misinformation. She just thinks that it should be in the hands of the people rather than the platforms or say, bigger organisations like governments, for example. It's quite an optimistic view. I'd like to think that we could just all self-censor, but some people just aren't that nice, are they, Jan? 
No, and we've learned that the hard way being on social media platforms, but I guess we'll see how it goes. Tomorrow, we take a look at ankle bracelets. Are they the future for returned travellers? Now, if you like the show, the best way to support us is to subscribe and tell your friends. And why don't you take a picture of where you listen? A Podcast One production.